aforementioned Pastor Dave, and uh, it's good to be with you. Thank you for being here. Happy New Year. This is the first Sunday of 2019, and so glad to be able to worship together with you. We're going to be looking into Mark chapter 11. If you want to have your Bibles opening to that particular section, we're going to take a look at that. And also within the bulletin that you would hopefully received, there is an outline exactly like the one I have in my hand here. You will find you will get a whole lot more out of this next 30 minutes if this is a piece that you can refer to and reference as I want to look at a couple things on the back side of that as well. I was talking to a, uh, a therapist who works with people who have emotional and challenging issues of life. It's intriguing to me that uh, one of the things that this uh, therapist said, who works for one of the largest medical organizations in Orange County, that uh, she encounters more and more men, particularly men who maybe are of a certain age, that would be close to my age, uh, that uh, are coming in because they're realizing their life lacks meaning. These are men and other women as well who are wealthy, who are poor, who have been successful in their profession or perhaps not so successful. But they're reaching sort of this age of life where they're feeling like they don't quite know what their purpose is or what is next, and they're reaching this point of desperation that they're signing up, I need counseling, I need therapy, I need help. And sometimes we reach stages in life, it doesn't have to be old, it can be young, where we sort of lose that purpose of those things that God would have for us. And perhaps uh, a way to illustrate that is to turn to one of the greatest movies that has ever been produced. Which comes to your mind? What movie comes to your mind? Exactly, City Slickers. <laughs> there is an individual is played by Billy Crystal, and Billy Crystal has reached that point where he's sort of lost meaning, lost value, lost purpose. And he does what a lot of dads are invited to do, come to his son's schoolroom and talk about his career. Now, Billy's getting up there just after this very profane guy that I've edited out. Uh, shares about his very exciting life, then Billy gets up, and this is sort of how it Thank you, Mr. Morelli. That was very descriptive. Daniel, would you introduce your father, please, and tell us what he does? My dad's named Mitch, and he's, he's a submarine commander. Oh, Danny. Submarine commander? He works for WBLM Radio. Oh. Hey. Oh. <laughs> well, like uh, Danny said, I work for WBLM Radio. Are you a dish jockey? No, I'm not a dish jockey. You know the commercials that are on the radio? Oh, do you make all those commercials? No. Other people make the commercials. I sell them time on our station for the commercials to be on. So you decide which commercials to use and when. That's right. Well, no, it's not right. It used to be right. Seems now that I even have to check with the station manager if I want to wipe my nose. <laughs> the minute he took away my authority, I should have quit. Mr. Robbins. Value this time in your life, kids. 
Because this is the time in your life when you still have your choices. And it goes by so fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur. 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money, and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly, you grow another chin. The music starts to get too loud. One of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. 50s, you have a minor surgery. You'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, you'll have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. 70s, you and the wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. Start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. Spend most of your time wandering around malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The 80s, you'll have a major stroke. You end up babbling to some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand, but who you call mama. Any questions? So there you go. I know that none of us know what he's talking about, but we all might have friends. And so we want to reach out to our friends and help them. Today's passage, I'd like to read it for us because it actually does relate to what you just saw. And picking up from where we left off, where Norm brought us last week in Mark chapter 11, we see a problem that Jesus is highlighting. And in Mark chapter 11, I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. It says this, On the next day when they had left Bethany, so this would be Monday, the Sunday before was uh, Palm Sunday, so here we are on Monday, when they left for Bethany, he became hungry. That would be Jesus. Seeing at a distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he had came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. This is April is when he is doing this. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for he was afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted you. Whenever you're standing, stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So there we go. Interesting intersection of a number of things happening there. And the first thing that we see Jesus doing is confronting this fig tree. Now some of you have been asking about the fig tree ever since Norm said last week that he didn't know what was going on with the fig tree. But I think Norm probably knew more than he was wanting to let on. So let me fill in the rest of the gap. Why is this fig tree becoming significant to what Jesus is talking about? 
because the fig tree is there in this month of April, and Jesus curses the fig tree because the fig tree becomes symbolic of something even more important. The big picture is this. Jesus has already checked out the temple. He sees worshipers in the temple. It's busy. It's flush with people. It looks like a lot of good things are going on, but externally, it looks prosperous. Internally, they are spiritually bankrupt. So he comes across a fig tree. And Jesus is a wonderful gardener. He loved the plant life that was all around him. He would use it many times to illustrate his point. So he's crossing this fig tree. It's April. Fig trees don't produce figs in April. When you see in the summertime figs, you're going to look at something like this that we saw last week. But if you go there in April when the leaves are already there, but the figs have not ripened as they are here, you would find a tree that is similar to this where they have little tiny buds. And so in April, as the poor people would come upon a fig tree, poor people would begin to pick these little buds off of there and they would eat them. Jesus comes across this fig tree that is lush and green, but it doesn't have figs that you and I would want to eat. And because it didn't produce the kind of fruit that he was looking for, he cursed it. And the fig tree died, as you saw later after the temple experience. So you got the fig tree being cursed before the temple. You got the fig tree looking cursed after the temple. And between those two things is the temple experience. So what Jesus is doing is using the illustration of a fig tree that outwardly looks prosperous, but inwardly is fruitless. And the point being that you and I can look outwardly prosperous, but inwardly we can be as fruitless as that fig tree. That's the application personally. There's a macro application, that's the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is going about their work, going about their temple worship, gathering together in the temple with all the activities of that. And as the temple worshipers gathered together, what they were doing was fruitless in God's sight. We can do that here. We can look good. We can perform good. We can be prosperous on the outside. But we may gather together even on a Sunday like this and be fruitless in everything that God really requires of us. That's the risk we run. So Jesus then uses that fig tree and teaches about that, the problem of an empty, unfruitful life. So he curses the temple, quote-unquote, worshipers who had gathered together. Again, the text says this, Then they came to Jerusalem, he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. What was happening in the temple worship, and here is a mock-up of Herod's temple, as it would have looked in the days of Jesus Christ. And there are various important aspects about this temple, and of course the Holy of Holies and all this, where the Jewish people and the priests would go for the Day of Atonement. But in this courtyard here would be the courtyard of the Gentiles. So the Gentiles could gather together, but the Gentiles were not allowed to come and, and process into here to a place of worship. And so they would gather together as Gentiles looking very busy, lots of people. Wow, looks like everybody's going to the temple to worship. But what was happening is the Gentiles were there, and so as the Jewish people would come to worship, according to Exodus chapter uh, 20, I think it is, men who are 20 years and older have to annually bring a half shekel of their payment, their contribution, 
to the temple. And so these 20-plus-year-old men would gather together here, and there would be temple money changers because if they came with Roman coins or Greek coins, those coins had the figurehead of a person. And that would be like idolatry. So they couldn't bring those coins to the place of the temple to worship, so they had to change their Roman coins or their Greek coins into Jewish coins so they could provide their half shekel. And what these bankers, if you will, would do is charge a very high interest rate for making that exchange. In fact, it got so excessive that people were being taken advantage of, it became like, as Jesus said, a robber's death. So he calls these temple worshipers robbers. They're stealing from the people who bring their shekels to come and worship before God, and and they're taken advantage of. And God, through Jesus Christ, says, I condemn that, I curse that. Like I curse the fig tree, I curse you. Pretty harsh language by Jesus. But you've got to know, this is the week that he's going to be crucified. He's days away from the cross. He's got little time. He's finally fed up. He was there earlier to check out the temple. He didn't act there. Now he comes back to the temple and says, I've had it. You Jewish quote-unquote worshipers, I curse. Because you've lost the real meaning of what I'm looking for. So that is the message. And the application is I put on the outline, I put it on the screen as well. We can appear fruitful even doing the Lord's work. We can be fruitful looking here even in Calvary Church. But it may be fruitless in God's sight. It's easy to be deceived into a false appearance of prosperity when in fact we are fruitless for what really matters to God. So it's a challenge to us. Here's Jesus days, hours from his crucifixion. He says, I want to leave something with you that I don't want you to lose the essence of why you are here, what you should be pursuing, those values that are most important to me. One of the passages that I would love to spend more time on but will not hear, but I have on the back side of the outline, is Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. If you look at that verse there, I've written out the verse in the back of the outline. One of the things that Jeremiah teaches us in that verse is the fruitless versus the fruitful way of living. I love this passage where it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast of his might, let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. And here I distinguish below that in verse 23 are the fruitless things. Those things that I pursue that are not bad, I don't say we shouldn't do them, just Jesus, what, what Jeremiah is saying is don't boast about them. Don't make them the priority of your life, of how wise you are, how strong you are, how rich you are. Those are fine, but if that becomes your purpose in life, you've lost the fruitfulness that I'm looking for. So then he contrasts those things that can be good and God can use them. But he says, here's what I really want you to boast about. Here's the priority. Here's the fruit. Loving kindness, justice, and righteousness that you understand and know me. That's Jeremiah's version of Mark 11 where we begin to get the priorities that God has for us so we don't end up sort of this hopeless state of life. So we must choose between two options. As Jesus then quotes Isaiah, is it not written, 
My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. So here's the contrast. There's a contrast between a robber's den where the people gathered together in the temple for what they could gain from God through the exchange of coins so they make money, so they can have power, position, prestige. That was one reason why they were gathering at Herod's temple, because it was a way to have everything they want in life. Then Jesus says, I'm not interested in a robber's den. I'm interested in a house of prayer where we pursue God's priorities, where we prayerfully seek Him and His will. So then that sets up the solution. Here's where Jesus wanted to take us. After using the illustration of the fig tree, after applying it to the temple worshipers, and frankly, secondarily, letting us apply it to our lives so that we don't live fruitless lives this 2019, here are the things that God would have us to pursue. And so he gives us this solution. There's two ways that Jesus helps us refocus our priorities in life. Mark 11:20 says this. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, the fig tree, you've cursed it. It's withered. Of course it has. Whatever Jesus says is true and will happen. But then he changes the tone. I'm not interested in plant life, Jesus is saying. I'm not here to rescue all the plants in the world. I'm here to rescue the hearts of people who have lost their way. So Jesus answered and says to them, have faith in God. So he transitions from this, for this, this material world of plant life to the spiritual world of growing to know God, having faith in Him. And there's two things he talks about. The first one is prayer. Pray with faith in the power of God, and here's the passage. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Now that's a wonderful promise. I don't always have the faith to believe it. Because he talks about this faith to move a mountain into the sea, but does not doubt. Let me emphasize this word doubt. Because I sometimes pray, and I'm not sure I have the full faith that I should have, because there might be an inkling of doubt somewhere, so God's not going to answer my prayer request. This word for doubt is a Greek word that means to have judgment. To have, it comes from the root word to be separate, to contend with. So when Jesus says, I don't want you to contend with God, to be separated from God, to be judging God, I want you to come in full faith to God, to come boldly before His throne of mercy and grace so that He might give to you what you're requesting. So He's inviting us to no longer contend with God because I'm dissatisfied, but to have faith in God because I believe He's going to do something in response to my prayer request. I don't want to have external beauty, but internal poverty by not having the faith that he's going to respond to my prayer request. What he's talking about here is this Mount Olives. Hard to make it out, but here's Mount of Olives. It's the little mount that's outside of Jerusalem. It looks down into the city, into the old part of Jerusalem, into the area of the Temple Mount. And he said, if you had faith, you would move this mountain to the Dead Sea. 
On a clear day, you can stand on the top of Mount of Olives and see the Dead Sea. It's how, that's how close it is. So Jesus is saying, I, I am inviting you to have faith to move the mountain that we're around and move it to the sea that you can see way over there. And, and for a lot of us, it's just beyond our imagination that God would move in such a powerful way. Now, I want to introduce you to someone that Dale Thorne here in our church introduced to me. I sometimes have such an analytical mind that it's hard for me to move beyond kind of the provable things from God. Sometimes it's hard for my mind to think of the miraculous things of God, that somehow there is coincidences but not really God-caused miracles. So sometimes I need to hear from people who have seen God work in ways that go beyond what I can possibly understand, but that he chooses to do so. There's a young Iranian man by the name of Afshin. Afshin was a militant Muslim in Iran, part of the militia, responsible for killing people, burning the flag of Israel, hating the Jews. He was immersed five times a day in praying to Allah, his God. He was in the depths of that. Then God began to touch his heart. And he began asking God for something more because he realized the fruitlessness of Islam. And I've watched his whole testimony, but you don't have time for all of it. So I've grabbed a portion of it. I want you to hear when God encountered Afshin and let it touch our hearts to expand our hearts of faith, to believe that God is bigger than everything that I can prove. Here he is. And in Islam, it teaches that Muhammad, the greatest prophet, never had a face-to-face with, uh, with God on the dark angel. And I knew that in the Quran, God uh, threatens the infidel to come and wipe them off the face of the earth. Now, I knew God is in the room, and I knew I have uh, many sins, and I need to be wiped off the face of the earth. And I knew there is no way of forgiveness, but I don't know why. I just kept repeating, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I knew there is absolutely no hope for forgiveness. And as I kept crying out, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, I felt a touch on my shoulder saying, I forgive you. And immediately I felt forgiven. I, I was more confused. Because yeah, it doesn't fit again. It doesn't fit. I physically felt forgiven. And I said, who are you that can forgive me? And I feel forgiven today. Because all my life, I, I heard, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, in the name of Allah, who is merciful and gracious, but we have to day, die and wait for the day of judgment to see if to, we have to whether you, whether you are forgiven or not, you don't know. But you forgive me today, and I know I'm forgiven. Knowing I don't deserve forgiveness. Who are you that forgives me, and I feel forgiven today? And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I said, I don't understand. I've never heard those words. What is your name? Jesus Christ, he responded. And I fell on my face. And I cried for two hours. Because 
he had forgiven me. People ask me, uh, what's the most memorable thing about Jesus when you saw him? I said, it is his eyes. So what about his eyes? What color? I said, well, I'm going to describe the color. The eyes of Jesus have two arms. And as soon as you look, they grab you and pull you in. And immediately they throw you in the middle of this ocean. But this ocean is not made out of water, but made out of goodness, kindness, love, peace, joy, grace, mercy. Every good thing that you can ever imagine. It has no bottom or no end to it. And you feel you belong there. Wow, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are yeah. home. You are home. You know, for a lot of us who are very much into exegesis and analyzing and analytical and we've got to make everything fit into a box, this kind of blows my box up. And I think for a lot of us, we have this thing called a mountain that Jesus is wanting to move and he's inviting us to be part of his power to move that. And so the question comes to my mind for us right now, what obstacle, mountain if you will, are you prayerfully going to ask God to move for you? It may be a mountain of disbelief, that you don't have enough faith to believe that God can do the supernatural, that we continue to hear stories of Jesus appearing to Muslims in the Middle East. That God is about doing his work regardless of the faith that we enjoy or don't enjoy. But he wants us to be all about the priority of his presence, his power, to carry out his will, and that my faith would expand to really believe that he's a mighty God who's going to do above and beyond all that we ever think or ask, exceedingly great things beyond what my little faith that sometimes is mixed with doubt, he washes away. So I'm inviting you to consider on the outline there to write down on the first Sunday of January of 2019, God, this is the mountain I'm going to pray for and believe by your power that you're going to move this. Now it has to be according to God's will. There's scriptures in the back to help with that. But there's a second thing that he wants us to understand, and it is this that he wants us to pray with forgiveness for any person. So not only should I pray with faith in the power of God, but I need to pray with this spirit of forgiveness for any person because that is an area of doubt. That's an area of an obstacle between me and God. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. The second thing that he asks us to do that bears fruit, faith in the power of God bears the fruit of answered prayer. Prayerful forgiving of others brings the fruit of the forgiveness and presence of God in my life. There may be things that you're hanging on to from other people that are hard for you to let go because you've been wounded, you've been hurt, and you say, Dave, you don't understand. If they did to you what they did to me, you'd hold the grudge as well. Well, I may understand better than you understand me. 
one of the things that Joy and I went to Ireland a number of years ago, we came across in the St. Patrick's Cathedral this door that they call over there the Door of Reconciliation. And what was happening in those days, a long time ago, St. Patrick's Cathedral of uh, over a hundred years ago, was the, the Butlers and the Fitzgeralds were a feuding family because they both had their own person they wanted to be Lord Deputy. And the fighting became so severe, but the butlers barricaded themselves inside of the St. Patrick's Cathedral because they were fearful of their lives. The Fitzgeralds were on the outside. So Gerald Fitzgerald came to the door of St. Patrick's Cathedral, this door right here, and he cut open a hole in the door. And then through that opening, he extended his hand to the butlers and said, we want to make peace. Now, the butlers had a choice to cut off his arm, and that's where the term chance your arm came from, or they could embrace it, and they embraced it. And there was peace that came between the butlers and the Fitzgeralds. And it's a wonderful thing when the other person that you want to forgive or be forgiven by extends their hand and embraces it, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't always work that way. There are some times when you need forgiveness or you want to be forgiving but the other person is obstinate and difficult. That's why we come to this particular Greek word that Jesus used here, and it is atheomy. Theomy is two words, apo from, heomy, to send. It means to send from me this sin. I want to send this away. I want to be set free from this. I don't want it to encumber my life anymore. I don't want to be held back by the feelings that I have about what this person has done because they refuse to extend their arm or embrace mine. So if you can extend your arm and the other person embraces it, there is forgiveness and peace. If you're extending your arm and the other person wants to cut it off, a theomy is your word. And here's how it works. In the Old Testament, they had a thing called the scapegoat. And they would put the sins of the people on this goat and send it out into the wilderness. And so it was their scapegoat. Well, we don't have scapegoats today. I thought about having a goat up here. And we could have all of you put your sins on it. And we could just send it out into Tustin Avenue and let it wander down the street. But I thought that might, might go wrong somewhere. So let me get personal. I've been here for, as you know, about 23 years now. You know, over 23 years, you get a lot of letters. <laughs> and I'm telling you, for the last 15, it's been great. But occasionally, you get still people that you do something, and it sort of bothers them. You know? <laughs> Have you ever done anything where somebody gets bothered by it? Have you ever had 2,000 bosses? Uh... <laughs> so I got this letter, and one of the things that I tend to do is to hang on to things. <laughs> and I just don't want to let it go. You know, like you have a sore in your mouth and you keep touching it with your tongue. It's like, ugh, why do I do that? And so I've got this letter here that came this last year. So I'm ready to afia me. In this letter it says, if the church goes bankrupt, it will be your fault. How can you live with yourself knowing single-handedly you are destroying it? You are the boss Everything ultimately is on your shoulders. Do something positive before it's too late. Now, I didn't know I had that much power. <laughs> and fortunately, I'm no longer the boss. So now when I get letters like this, I give them to Eric. 
and you're welcome. <laughs> but all kidding aside, you know, it's stung because you would know this person. They're not here right now. I made sure. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to get another letter. <laughs> but this is a dear saint who loves the Lord. I know this person loves the Lord. And I've been hanging on to this for about a year now because this person disagreed with some decisions we've made. And I've decided to me. Now, I reached out to this person and said, hey, can we? And this person said, tough, get over it. Okay. So I want to get over it. So what I'm going to do is me. I was, I was actually tempted to make a photocopy and keep another on my file, <laughs> but I didn't do that. Now, I don't want that to look like, oh, Dave's getting a lot of hate mail, because I really get a lot of love mail. It's been really nice, and I'm getting quite proud, as a, as a matter of fact. But, uh, but some, of, some of you will humble me now. All I want you to do is to think for your own sake. Is there someone you want to be set free from? Is there a scapegoat? If you want to write on your registration card after church and put that name of that person and drop it in here, go for it. If it sort of releases you, sort of symbolically frees you. But what Jesus is saying is that, number one, I want you to pray in faith that the mountain that is somehow an obstacle to everything that's in your way, that I say, God, move that. Move it from me. Let that be whatever that is, whatever that mountain of disbelief or futility or frustration or job, health, whatever it may be, in Jesus' name, God, I ask for you to move this mountain as you promised me. This year, write down what that will be for 2019 and say, God, I'm going to hold this before you. This is what Jesus said. I want to take him at his word. And if there's any doubt in my heart, God, remove that. Help my unbelief. And then secondly, to every person that may have a grudge, a vengeance spirit, revenge, hate. I love the quote in George H.W. Bush's funeral, if you saw that, where Alan Simpson said, hatred corrodes the container that contains it. That God says, I want to set you free from that. What offense or wound will you ask God? to send away, whether the other person responds positively or not. Be freed up. Those will bear you fruit. Those are the things that God came for. That's why Jesus preached this message. That's why Jesus cursed the fig tree, cursed the temple worshiper, so you and I 2,000 years later could be reacquainted with the priorities of Christ. Pray in faith. Pray with forgiveness. And let God bring the results. Because that's what he wants to do for you in 2019. Let me pray for us. And if there's anything in this area of forgiveness you need to do business with God, we're going to receive communion now. And I want you to be fresh and renewed with God. If there's some mountain in your heart of, of sin that needs to be moved out, Ask God for that. If there's an area of forgiveness you need to send away because you harbor this hatred for someone else, say, God, I want to send it away. 
so that when I receive the bread and the cup, the body representing the body of Christ, the cup representing the blood of Christ, that God, I take this with a pure, clean heart on this first Sunday of 2019. I invite you into that life. If that's not your position right now, I invite you in. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you're a mighty God that sees our hearts and our minds. God, I never want us to be like those temple worshipers that were very busy looking like they're doing a lot of good stuff. But Jesus says, I curse that. Help us, Father, to be the people who have your priorities in mind. That, God, we would have the faith to believe that there is the mountain that is before us that you would choose to move for my sake, for your glory. And that, God, if there's an area of forgiveness, that I pray for that, to be set free from that, to move it from me. If it's hatred, if it's bitterness, if it's spite, God, set me free from that, that I come clean and pure through the blood of Jesus Christ, that he died for me, he was buried for me, he rose again for me. That, God, as I take these elements, I take them knowing I am forgiven and I am free and you have cleansed me. So we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. As the elements are passed, please hold them. I'll come back and we'll take them all together.